Today we're going to talk about verbal leadership, okay? We're going to talk about tough communication issues that are necessary for leaders. Not all of them are tough. Some of them are simpler than others. But I think saying the right thing at the right time is an art that takes years to master. And my hope is that each one of us will get to that point in our walks with God, and specifically as leaders, because we need to speak as leaders. So first and foremost, leaders are communicators and must communicate. You cannot lead without communicating. I would ask you to do a personal study of Scripture about communication and speech and things like that. It will benefit you personally a ton, and it will benefit your ministry a ton as well. So do a study on it sometime. Go to studylight.org or something like that and study up on what Scripture has to say about the tongue, about words, about speech, and then about these subcategories, things like confrontation and correction, teaching, and so forth. We're going to get into a lot of it today, but the Bible talks so much about this issue. There's just no way in a million years, well, maybe in a million years, but there's no way in this short hour that we could discuss it all. So I think we're going to get a picture, but I would encourage you to do more on your own. So anyway, as we begin, the tongue is powerful. Proverbs 18.21 says, the tongue has the power of life and death, and those who love it will eat its fruit. The tongue is very powerful. James 3, we'll quote a bit from there. Later on today, it talks a lot more about the power of the tongue. The tongue, however, must be used. It can be used for bad. It can be used for good. It's powerful. But it has to be used, especially by leaders. 2 Corinthians 4.13, and you might write down these references. We're going to have some diagrams and things like that today that I think will be imperative for you to write down. And these references might be helpful as well. 2 Corinthians 4.13 says... I believed, therefore I have spoken. And with that same spirit of faith, we also believe and therefore speak. If you believe, if you have faith in Christ, which you do, if you're in this class, then it will cause you to speak according to his desires and his leading. And as you speak, your tongue must be used wisely and your speech must be wise. Matthew 12:36, coming directly after a famous verse, 12:34 that we'll read later, says... And this is Jesus speaking, but I tell you the truth that or but I tell you that men will have to give an account on the day of judgment for every careless word they have spoken. So oftentimes I catch myself wondering, and not nearly enough, I need to think this thought much more often, but will this be something that I am glad to give an account for or not glad to give an account for, right? Because we're each going to give an account for what we say. I think that about negative things that I say that I shouldn't say or that I'm thinking about saying that I shouldn't say. But also, guys, sometimes I think about this in terms of confrontation and or correction or teaching that I don't say the right way. There was a situation last year where somebody asked about something that is way off scripturally at at our house for Thursday dinner. And I could have easily just given like a half-hearted, softball answer where I didn't really deal with the issue. And that would have been more comfortable because I didn't want to look awkward in front of all these people. But I knew if I gave that kind of answer, I would give an account someday to God for not going at the truth, even if it wasn't going to be popular. And so I, I decided between me and God, I'd rather please God than men. And I have to say what's true regardless of how it's going to come across. And I'm going to do it the best way I can But I know when I give an account for what I'm saying right now, I want to be able to say, God, I did my best 
to reflect your word and to go back to your truth, right? So we're going to give an account. So let's be wise with what we speak. First Peter 4.11, I've shared this with a few of you this week that are going to be speaking in the coming week or two. <clears throat> in fact, most of you will be speaking coming up here in some capacity or another. If anyone speaks, he should do it as one speaking the very words of God. So there should be a lot of gravity when we think about our speech and specifically speaking in a leadership capacity. We should realize that we should be speaking as if we are speaking the words of God. God is not going to speak flippantly. He's not going to speak ignorantly. He's not going to speak crudely or without kindness. And we shouldn't either, right? We should speak exactly like he would speak because it's him that desires to speak through us. Okay, guys? Especially as leaders and as you're leading and teaching and speaking, seek to speak as if you're speaking the very words of God. Okay, Jesus is our example. Luke 4.32, the people were amazed at the things he said because he spoke with authority, right? Now, here's the concept. Remember in 1 Corinthians 11.1, Paul says, imitate me as I also imitate Christ. Remember that? So, as a leader, you're following Christ's example in all areas of your life and then living that example for others to follow you. Does that make sense? That's what Paul said, and it's the same for us. Now, as far as speech goes, I want to encourage you to live following his example of authority and speech, speaking God's word, right? 1 Timothy 4.12 tells leaders, well, Paul tells Timothy, a leader, to live a life as an example, and he specifically mentions the area of speech. So I want to encourage you to follow Christ's example of speech, setting an example for those you're leading in speech as well, right? And as we're on that topic, if you want to speak authoritatively and to be respected for what you say, use Christ's very words. Use God's word. You don't have any clue how often when we speak in different churches, people come up and they say, what you said was amazing. I've never heard anything like that. It really just totally rocked my world. I mean, they use all these adjectives and all this stuff. And usually what we tell them is, it's because it's just God's word, right? We use a lot of scripture when we speak like I am today. Sometimes people don't like that. I think a lot of times we're used to hearing somebody share a verse and then talk for half an hour or something like that. I think it's important if you want to speak with authority to base your speech in scripture because then you have authority a lot greater than your own. And in leadership, if you're following Christ's example, that's what you'll do. I mean, even Christ did that. Think of all the times he quoted scripture. Look at Luke 4 as just one example, right? Okay, so as leaders, we follow Christ and his example of speech, setting an example for those that follow us in speech as well. Okay, leaders must communicate the gospel. If you are a leader, you have to share your faith. There is no if, and, or, but about it. Leaders must share the gospel. Romans 10, 13 through 15 is a passage that you're all familiar with. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And preaching typically, and I'll mention this again later, but typically in Scripture in the New Testament, when you hear the word preach or preaching, it's usually referring to evangelism, right? And teaching would be referring to speaking God's word to believers. But anyway, and how can they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news, right? So how can they call on the one whom they've not believed in, and how can they believe in the one whom they've not heard? We are called to preach as Christians first and as leaders second. And as a leader, if we're not sharing our faith, then we are passively deceiving those that follow us. 
by giving them a poor example of that area and by affirming to them their own disobedience in that area. And we can't do that. Does that make sense? If I'm not sharing my faith, I am passively, probably not many leaders think actively, oh, I can't wait to get people to not share their faith. But a lot of times leaders tell people, share, 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 but they never lead by example or lead by taking those people out. And they almost passively deceive people about that issue. Okay, as leaders, beyond just speaking uh, the gospel, we need to speak the truth. Ephesians 4.15 tells all believers to speak the truth in love, and I think we really need to do that. Whether it's to non-Christians or to Christians, we need to speak the truth in love. Okay, finally, even when it's hard, leaders must communicate the vision, the plan, and the priorities, and they must do it all in a godly way. A leader has to communicate where we're going and how we're going to get there. Right? A leader has to be able to show the way verbally to those that he or she is leading. And they've got to do it in a godly way. We can't just horse people around. I told you last week of a personal issue that Russ called out in my life, a personal lid and a ministry lid. It was both. And that was almost just running over people in leadership, right? As a leader, just kind of like bulldozing people. And a lot of that happened in the way I spoke. That was not godly, and that's not good leadership. Titus 3.2 basically says, this is paraphrasing, speak evil of no one, avoid arguing, be gentle, and show perfect courtesy toward all people. And I think that's important as a leader. When we speak the hard things and when we speak the necessary things, to do it the right way, not just saying the right thing, but saying the right thing at the right time and in the right manner. All right, so speaking can be hard. Let's look at Exodus. You could turn there with me if you want to Exodus 4, and I'll read it here. But maybe you felt like Moses at some point in your life, right? Speaking can be difficult, and Moses was very familiar with having a hard time speaking. Here's what he had to say. So God calls Moses to this unbelievable calling and purpose. And in Exodus 4, verse 1, and then picking up in 10 and going through verse 15, Moses says, what if they will not believe me or listen to what I say? For they may say, the Lord has not appeared to you. Then Moses said to the Lord, please, Lord, I have never been eloquent, neither recently nor in time past, nor since you have spoken to your servant, for I am slow of speech and slow of tongue. The Lord said to him, who has made man's mouth? Or who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now then go, and I, even I, will be with your mouth and teach you what you are to say. But he said, please, Lord, now send the message by whomever you will. Uh, no, no, no. Yeah. Please, Lord, now send the message by whomever you will. Then the anger of the Lord burned against Moses, and he said, Is there not your brother Aaron, the Levite? I know that he speaks fluently, and moreover... Behold, he is coming out to meet you. When he sees you, he will be glad in his heart. You are able to speak to him and put the words in his mouth. And I, even I, will be with your mouth and his mouth, and I will teach you what you are to do. You see this dialogue between Moses and God? Moses is begging to get out of speaking, saying, I can't do it. I'm not good enough. What are people going to say? His own insecurities are just coming out like never before. And that will happen in a lot of different areas. As you begin teaching your insecurities are going to come up. Who am I to talk? What if they don't believe me? As you confront, based in Scripture, which you have to do as a leader, the right way at the right time, your insecurities are going to come up. You're going to feel like, I don't want to hurt this person. And of course you don't want to hurt them, but sometimes you have to deal with different issues. All these things are going to come up, and it's going to be difficult, just like it was with Moses. 
And sometimes you're going to feel like the second you take a stand, you're all alone. Just like Moses felt, right? Moses is saying, I'm all alone. Who am I? And I want to encourage you with what God said. He said, who has made man's mouth? Or who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now then, go, and I, even I, will be with your mouth and teach you what you are to say. Is that not awesome? God himself made your mouth. He's going to teach you what to say, and he's going to be with you as you're saying it, right? Okay, some specifics before we get to drawing anything down on the board. And write down whatever hits you, because some of these are very important. So leaders avoid negative speech and are committed to positive speech. Your tongue can be good or bad, right? And James 3 is all about that. We want to avoid the negative guys, and we want to focus on the positive. Leaders avoid hidden agendas and manipulation and speak clearly and openly. This is huge. We avoid hidden agendas and manipulation, and we speak clearly and openly. It's easy as a leader to begin to try to manipulate people, right? I've done this in the past, and I hate manipulation. I hate when I get manipulated, and I don't ever want to manipulate another person as long as I live. I really want people to make decisions based on God's will for them, not my manipulation, you know? And I think all of us as leaders need to do that. So we need to avoid hidden agendas and manipulation. We need to avoid trying to get people to do things with kind of like a hidden manner, right? And instead, we need to speak clearly and openly. Look at what Paul said, 2 Corinthians 4.2. This is huge. Paul says, rather, we have announced, we have renounced secret and shameful ways. We do not use deception, nor do we distort the word of God. On the contrary, by setting forth the truth plainly, we commend ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. And this is something that is important for leaders to say, I'm putting aside all these secret and shameful, manipulative and hidden agenda ways. I'm putting them aside. And I'm just going to speak open and clearly what God's word says. That's it. That's all there is to it. I'm not trying to get you to do something. Just putting God's word out there and letting him direct you and lead you. Does that make sense? And as leaders, we need to come to that point. So leaders avoid hidden agendas and manipulation and speak clearly and openly. Next, leaders avoid dishonesty and speak what is true. Ephesians 4.25 says, Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to his neighbor. Right? So avoid deception and speak truthfully. Even when it seems like, as a leader, there will be times where it's easy to not be totally clear, right? Especially in confrontation. Sometimes it's hard to really stand firm and say, no, nope. <laughs> you were wrong, right? It takes really good boundaries. Again, something we'll mention in a minute. And it takes being able to speak the truth in love. But honestly, putting off falsehood and speaking what is true. Okay, leaders avoid gossip, slander, and discouraging speech and speak what will encourage, uplift, and edify, right? Just a note on that. Avoid gossiping and don't believe gossip, right? But beyond that, that's just kind of like the passive side. It's not believing gossip or not gossiping. I want to encourage you to the active opposite of that. Talk each other up and talk all believers up, right? There are believers that I've had lots of struggles with in, in the past, and I'm going to try to talk them up, right? I'm going to try to encourage them, others about that person. And I want to do that with you guys, and I think we need to do it with each other, Right? Instead of just not gossiping about Brandon, we should talk Brandon up. He's amazing. Have you seen what God's doing in his life? Have you ever heard him speak? I love listening to him speak. Right? Or Ashley, I want to hear people talking you up, just, not just not gossiping. Right? That's, kinda, that's a good starting point. 
but it shouldn't end there. We should be talking each other up among each other as much as we possibly can. And on Facebook. We were doing that a lot last year, and I personally have not been doing it enough this year. But I want to start tagging people in comments and just talking them up on Facebook so everybody around is going to see how we view this person. Not just empty flattery, but literally asking God to help us talk each other up in a positive and constructive way, right? So leaders avoid gossip and slander and discouraging speech and instead speak what will encourage, uplift, and edify. Ephesians 4.29. We're going to read a lot from Ephesians 4. I'd encourage you to read this whole passage, the second half of it. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Right? So we're not tearing down, we're building up with our speech. Okay, leaders avoid crude and tasteless speech and instead speak kindly. Right? A lot of times we can speak meaningless or even crude or mean words, and that's not right, especially for leaders. We need to speak kindly. Ephesians 4, 31 through 32, more from Ephesians 4. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice, and instead be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Right? Okay, leaders avoid empty and vain speech and speak in a way that is confident, that is confident, gracious, and interesting. Even interesting. Try to speak interestingly. The other night at Connect, when we had this secret Connect where we met all these new people, I'm talking to some people, and I'm trying to speak interestingly. I don't want to just be boring as a new person. I want to kind of build some bridges with them and all that. And I realized in my desire to speak interestingly, I was also talking more about myself than listening. I caught this, and I thought, ooh. Okay, so there's this balance. I want to be interesting, but I also really want to ask questions and hear what they're saying. Okay? So here it is. Let your speech, Colossians 4, 6, be always with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer each one. Right? So I want to be gracious. I want to be interesting, seasoned with salt. With salt, And I want to know how I ought to answer each one. I want to be confident in what I'm saying, based in, again, God's word. Right? Which means I need to know God's word in the first place. Okay, leaders avoid arguing. And this is going to be important to get some of these distinctions. 2 Timothy 2, 24 we don't have notes today. My printer died, but you can take notes. Second Timothy 2.24 says, The Lord's servant must not quarrel. Instead, he must be kind to everyone. So arguing is what? A sin, right? Now, a lot of people will correctly say, well, what about disagreements? Because there's a difference here. So I want to talk about the Greek word quarrel there. The Greek word is makomahi. It sounds like Hawaiian, huh? <laughs> Interestingly, it means to fight or to battle or to wrangle with words. So this isn't talking about mere disagreements where you have a differing opinion and you have to, you know, kind of figure this out. But this is talking about actually fighting each other verbally. And that's what an argument really is. And we've all been there where we're jabbing at each other with our words. That's a sin. That's selfish and it's wrong. It's not correct, right? Fighting ad hominem attacks, right? putting people down instead of dealing with the issues, name-calling, selfish discussion, should have no place in a Christian's life and definitely not in a leader's life. But they do, and we all should be quick to ask forgiveness when those things happen, right? Now, we want to seek both to win and not to take sides and have a winner and a loser in those kinds of disagreements, right? If there's a disagreement about a real scriptural issue, 
then we then there really is a truth and we need to get at that. And we'll talk about that in just a minute here. But as far as these arguments that are sinful, the concept is that we should not seek to have a winner and a loser, but rather two winners. Does that make sense? I would encourage you guys to read Chapman's book, Everybody Wins, or Everyone Wins, I guess it's called. It's for married couples, but it would not hurt you to read it now. And the concept there is that if someone wins, you both lose, right? Because for the relationship to grow, if one person is a loser, then the relationship is weakened. Whereas if two people are both mutually winners, the relationship is strengthened. And I'll tell you an honest and funny story about this. Aaron and I listened to this book on Audible on our trip to Moab last March. And we're just sitting there going, this is the best book ever, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. We get to Moab and we start having this argument. <laughs> like right after we finished this book on not having winners and losers. And it became really pretty fierce. I mean, we were pretty, we were pretty argumentative. <laughs> and we, we were both thinking, we just read this book on not arguing. And now we're having this massive argument, like the biggest argument in a month or something. And both of us, like really, were, were committed to this argument. And so... We even verbally said, right during the argument, we both remember the book, and then we said, we'll, we'll begin applying that stuff after this argument. <laughs> okay? So even knowing this, guys, we need to have the right heart. And this goes back to letting God give us a desire for unity, not just winning an argument. And that's where it really boils down to, is not just wanting to win, but wanting to grow in fellowship. And that will happen a lot of times. As leaders, we'll have opportunities to argue with people, or actually build relationships. And a leader is going to pick building the relationship over winning an argument. Okay? Leaders do take disagreements, which are inevitable, back to God's word. So we're differentiating here. An argument would be a, a verbal fight based on something that's not scripturally clear. Whereas a disagreement would be something where there is a right or wrong. And I'm talking more scriptural disagreement. If it's a disagreement about preference, you should not turn that into an argument, right? which restaurant we should go to or whatever. So leaders confront people and issues when necessary, and it will be necessary for you to confront issues and people at different times in your ministries. I promise you, you can take it to the bank. And more, you guys, than past generations, because things are getting really crazy, and anything goes in the Christian world. And I might even mention some in a minute. But the reality is, is you're going to have to confront people and issues at different times in your ministry, and you have to be ready for it. And it's not fun. How many of you guys like confrontation? Not many of us like confrontation, right? But there are going to have to be times in your life where you initiate confrontation based on Scripture in the power of the Holy Spirit and trust the results to God, just like we do with evangelism, where you're going to have to confront people based in truth, going to God's Word. You're going to have to have very good boundaries with this because you're going to be tempted to think, oh, might make them feel bad, and you might. You need to realize if you're going to God's word, their feelings are their problem, not yours, right? You're going to have to have good boundaries. You're going to have to do this in love, but with really good boundaries about where you're coming from with Christ. I would encourage you before confrontation to begin with prayer and to spend time with God, to get in his word and know confidently what his word says so that you can say that correctly, right? Confrontation is not fun, but sometimes necessary. You should be in prayer, you should be in God's word, and then ultimately, you should be, well, yeah, but in the power of the Holy Spirit, right? Ephesians 5.18, ask him to fill you with the Spirit and to control you and empower you in these difficult situations. Check your motives. Make sure your motives are right. You're not just trying to 
one-up someone or get them, but you're actually trying to, for God's glory, bring scriptural truth into this situation or issue. Sometimes you'll win your brother over, and, and that's what Galatians 6 says. We'll read that in a minute. But sometimes you won't. Sometimes they'll get mad at you. And you need to have good enough boundaries to think that's okay. Right? That's okay. There are students that I've had to have these conversations with that turned, gossiped, slandered, got furiously mad with us. We even had one, seriously, that threatened to come to connect and kill everybody there. Right? Um, Unfortunately, that was his decision. That wasn't because of what we said to him. Does that make sense? That was not our fault. That was his choice. And it was a wrong choice. All we did was share scripture with him about something that he was pushing that wasn't correct. Does that make sense? Sometimes you're going to have to do that. And thankfully, guys, God is working through you, right? And in that case, the guy got a plane and took off and left town pretty much the next day after that dropped out of school, after he you know, told everybody he was going to come and kill all these people. I've only seen him once or twice since then, and it was very awkward. <laughs> it was very awkward. And I really hope and trust that God is working in that guy's life, you know. Uh, he friended me on Facebook. It was weird. I didn't accept his friend request. Um, you guys will have to make those decisions, you know. I love him, and I'm going to pray for him. But I feel like if you're threatening to kill a lot of people that I love, I'm not going to give you Facebook access to those people and their names and their where they live and all that. Does that make sense? And so you guys... What you're going to have to do in these situations is have good boundaries. Do this in the power of the Holy Spirit. Allow them to decide what they're going to decide, but then be willing to deal with the consequences with wisdom. You might have to protect yourself. You might have to be careful about how you interact with this person. You might be able to embrace this person and love them. And there is a more current example than that one. A couple of years ago, there was... A Christian that got invited to town, Stephanie remembers this, and um, this guy was promoting stuff that's absolutely crazy, like absolutely crazy, promoting levitation and speaking with animals and like spirit travel and astral projection, like new age stuff, seriously sucking and fondling the tits of Christ. I mean, this is like absurd, you know what I mean? This is stuff, I mean, it's like sexually suggestive in your, in your relationship with Christ snorting imaginary lines of cocaine off dead people's graves to get spiritual highs. Um, smoking Holy Spirit marijuana was a big one that, that everybody talked about. And it wasn't real marijuana, but he called it token the ghost. I mean, this is, this is literally taking God himself and equating him with a street drug, you know, which is ridiculous. And I didn't even confront the pastor but I confronted the person that the pastor was bringing in, this guy. I just basically let people know what this was all about because it had been falsely advertised uh, big time. All across the four corners, it was being promoted as a conference for growing in intimacy with Christ. You know, And I just let people know that's not what this is about. This is who's really coming, and this is as far from intimacy with Christ as you can get. This is absolute lunacy. You know, And uh, what happened, though, was there was obviously a little bit of a an explosion that came out of that. Uh, the majority of the feedback I got was, thank you so much for letting us know. We had no, from leaders, we had no idea, and a lot of people from our church was going, and we are thankful that we can now warn them not to go. But there were a few people that were pretty mad and said it wasn't my place to 
take that stand. And, I mean, that's neither here nor there. I feel like as any believer, we should take those stands when necessary. But here's what I wanted to encourage you with. That pastor that, that I really butted heads with, the guy that had brought this person in, what, like two and a half years later, we have a pretty close friendship. We pray for each other often. We email each other. I did just last week told him I'm praying for him. So you'll find times when you take a real hard stand, sometimes it causes controversy or, you know, broken relationships, that they don't have to stay broken forever. And there might be a time again where that relationship can grow and, and be fostered and all that sort of stuff, okay? So I want to encourage you guys that you need to have good boundaries. And whether you need to protect yourself afterwards or rebuild the friendship or accept with open arms or really draw some lines in the sand, like it says in 1 Corinthians 5, um, whatever the case, you need to have good boundaries with that. All right. Major scripturally clear deceptions have to be corrected, okay? Things like I just mentioned. Those things have to be corrected. Scripture literally says to command people not to teach those things, and if they keep on doing it, to have nothing to do with them. And it tells us that there's going to be a lot more of this coming in our lifetimes. I would not be surprised to hear Christians talking about sexual experimentation being a form of spiritual growth. I... I'm just telling you, you will see things that crazy and crazier in your lives. And as leaders, you're going to have to stand up to some of that stuff and say, this is not right. This is not right at all. Okay. In fact, there is a ministry that's already using sex as an evangelism tool. Have you heard about this? It's uh, the family of God, I think it's called. Joaquin Phoenix, the actor, grew up in that, in that cult actually as the son of missionaries in that cult. And they call it flirty fishing. This is no joke. And they encourage the women to go um, have sex with men that that aren't a part of the denomination and get them into the denomination. You guys, the sky is the limit. (laughs) Satan is a deceiver, and he's going to deceive people, even that think they know Christ. And you're going to have to take things that are scripturally deceptions, right? And you're going to have to confront them with scripture. Okay, 2 Timothy 3.16 says, All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. Okay, so we go to God's word and we use God's word when we deal with these issues. Last year in the Mythbusters class, we talked about the 21 signs of deception. We should know those things as believers so that when we hear of these issues, we can confront them with scripture based only on scripture, not on experience, not on perception, not on my own thinking, but on scripture. Okay, this is what we call the proverbial scripture two by four. That's what Russ calls it. And sometimes You kind of have to do this. You have to sit down with somebody and say, no, we're going straight to Scripture, and I am not letting up. And it feels almost like you're crushing this person to pieces, and you don't want to do it in a mean way. You were in a conversation with me where we had to do this with a student that was trying to say that smoking pot is fine for Christians. And we had to sit down and gently and lovingly show them from Scripture, it is not okay for Christians to smoke pot. And here's why, you know. And anyway, Titus 1.13 and 2.15 both give us some clues about how to do this kind of confrontation. And I think these two verses together are the best picture of confrontation you could possibly ever get. All right? First, uh, or I should say Titus 1.13 tells us to rebuke sharply. And the word sharply there in the Greek literally means severely and abruptly in a matter that cuts. That's pretty hardcore, right? So you're not like kind of like gently hoping to transition into this rebuke in a nice and kind way. I mean, you want to be kind and full of the Spirit and loving, full of the fruit of the Spirit. 
But at the same time, this is severe and abrupt, and it's literally cutting into the person, not in a physical way, but into this wrong theology or issue. Smoking pot is not okay, and I'm going to cut deep into that concept. Does that make sense? I'm not going to give that idea any leeway whatsoever because it's going to destroy our lives, right, if we buy into it. All right, 2.15 says to rebuke with all authority in an encouraging way. Isn't that interesting? How can you do all this? With all authority literally means commanding and mandating. This isn't just kind of simply doing this. This is firm. I'm, gonna, I'm commanding, I'm mandating, I'm doing it in a severe, abrupt, and cutting, sharp way. And at the same time, encouraging. And the word encouraging there is parakaleo, which comes from the same, or is the same root as the Bible used to refer to the Holy Spirit as paraclete, our comforter, our encourager, our counselor. Do you get this picture? It literally means to come alongside, to encourage, to comfort, to admonish, to strengthen, and to teach. So you're doing this confrontation in a sharp and authoritative way, and at the same time coming along them and encouraging them, comforting them, strengthening them, teaching them, and doing all that lovingly and encouragingly. Isn't that kind of an interesting picture? How to do that exactly right, I don't know. And I think only the Holy Spirit can do it in you, Megan. You're going to have to trust him in you to, to somehow get this balance between firmly standing on Scripture and doing it in a loving and encouraging way where you're crushing the idea, the wrong idea, right? But not the person himself. You're encouraging the person, right? And hoping that you'll win him over, right? If there's a minor scripturally vague issue, you should not take that approach, right? There are denominational issues that people differ on, and we should not take this hard approach with those issues, Like Paul says in Philippians 3.15, if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you, right? We need to have that perspective with denominational issues, as long as they're minor denominational issues. Some denominational issues might be big, right? There are denominations that say you're not saved until you're baptized in their church. Okay, you might have to crush that one with some scripture, right? Um, But there are some minor denominational issues that you're going to have to trust God with and, and leave alone. Right? As far as confrontation on non-scriptural issues, right? like your roommate is never doing their fair share of the dishes, well, I'm sure there are a lot of scripture, a lot of verses that you could use to, to address that, right, about responsibility and so forth. But as far as non-scriptural issues, you need to have good boundaries, just the same, and you need to confront just the same, and you need to do it lovingly, just the same. And we'll talk about that in just a minute, but you're going to use what we call the communication wheel as far as conflict resolution goes. And it'll be super helpful for dealing with those things. Right here we are talking mainly about confrontation when it comes to scripturally clear issues that are that are wrong, that you as a leader have to confront. Now here's what happens if you as a leader don't deal with those issues. They multiply. And I've seen this too. We had a student, when I was a student, that began believing God doesn't have a specific plan for your life. Okay, He was a freshman when I was. We were great friends. I love this man more than you can imagine. And he started saying this. And as a student, I just figured out it's not a big deal. You know, like, I'm not going to make things awkward by confronting that. Tiptoed around it. I said, what about Jeremiah 29, 11? You know? And he'd say, oh, that's written to the whole nation of Israel. Okay? It's not written to individuals. 
And I'd say, well, what about if, and that's where it says, I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, right? And it was talking to Israel, who at the time were in exile, and God is saying, I still have a plan for your life. I still have a purpose for you. Just because it was written to Israel doesn't mean it's not written to each of you, right? Um, this is God's word for his people, and you're one of his people. So, But anyway, he made that excuse. So the second one I said is Ephesians 2.10. You're God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which he planned beforehand that you should walk in. That's real clear. You are his workmanship. He created things beforehand, and now it's time for you to walk in those things. He has a plan for your life. And I forget how he tried to wiggle out of that, too. And I just didn't deal with it. I thought, this is not a real big issue, you know. So he, so he believes God doesn't have a real specific plan for his life. Oh, well, you know. Well, what did that lead to? The next part of the lie is it snowballed, and this will happen if you don't deal with these issues, was God doesn't have a plan for my life, step one. Step two, God doesn't really care what I do. See, if God doesn't have a plan for my life, why should he care about what I do? He only cares about what I do as long as it's within scriptural principles. And the main scriptural principle is love. So as long as I'm doing things in love, that's all God cares about, right? That was the second lie. So what's the third step from that? That's why I'm living with my girlfriend, and we're having sex. And I think it's great, and you can't tell me it's wrong. I'm like, wait, what about all these verses on sexual morality? It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter at all. All those verses are dealing with sexual, sexual immorality outside of a loving relationship. <laughs> are you kidding me, right? And so then I start, you know, we go to his, his house for a Bible study, and there's porn on the table, and, you know, there's excuses for that, and he's cussing all the time, and I'm bringing up Ephesians 4, and, oh, who are you to tell me that's unwholesome talk, right? Do you see the snowballing effect of not dealing with an early on lie? And how, that's, this is what Scripture says in Romans 1, if we believe a lie, that God gives us over to it, to a reprobate mind. This is exactly what happens. When we say, I'm believing this lie, God kind of, he has good boundaries, and he says, I don't want you to, but okay. And that snowballs into big problems. And if you tolerate these issues in your ministry, your ministry will suffer. It really will. You might have lots of numbers because everybody likes the fact that anything goes. But you're not going to have much fruit, right? Because Satan is going to be wreaking havoc with deception. Right? So the, and I want to I say to this person that I just talked about has come full circle <laughs> and, and is uh, leading his family to God right now. And, and um, you know, God's done a lot of good stuff in that person's life. And one of the last times I talked with him, he just said, he said, it, it, he said, I think, quote, unquote, I think he said it sucks that it took me so long to figure that stuff out, you know. And I just think as people in ministry, we shouldn't be okay with people having to go through the school of hard knocks. We should be willing to have good boundaries and confront these issues early on before they become big issues and deal with them. All right? Okay, and to do it lovingly. Sin must be confronted. Galatians 6, 1 through 2. Brothers, if someone is caught in a sin, you who are spiritual should restore him gently. But watch yourself, or you also may be tempted. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. Right? So we have to confront these issues the right way. Right? I would encourage you to do this within kind of the relationship aspect of the ministry. Probably... Megan, if you see some issue of sin in some new freshman guy's life, maybe it wouldn't be good for you to go just call him out on the carpet right then and there, right? You might want to try and find out who's discipling this guy and, and let them know what you see and, 
and trust that God will kind of use the right avenues to deal with those issues, right? Um, as far as a leader, if you see an issue in a leader's life, come straight to us. If you see an issue where I'm coming short, please let me know. I want to know. And I'm sure Stephanie's the same way, right? My wife, Erin, is the same way. All of us would like to be the first to hear. You don't have to, you don't have to feel like, oh, my gosh, they won't like me if I bring that up. I've had students see stuff in me that I didn't even know was there. Just like Russ has, I've had students that I'm discipling say, look at this issue, Nate. I'm like, gee, I never saw that. But I totally see where you're coming from, right? So you need to take those things correctly. Okay, confrontation should follow biblical protocol. Matthew 18, 15 through 17, Jesus himself gives us that protocol, okay? If your brother sins against you, go and show him his fault just between the two of you, right? One-on-one. If he listens to you, you have won your brother over. But if he will not listen, take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, treat him as you would a pagan or a tax collector. That's harsh. The protocol goes one-on-one first and then one-on-one with a couple extra people. Probably people with a little bit of authority, right, that could actually speak in that situation. And finally, going with church authority, like spiritual authority, that would actually have a place of authority over that person. Does that make sense? Being able to really hit some issue hard. And if still the person is unrepentant and it's a clear scriptural issue, 1 Corinthians 5, 1 through 13, you can read it on your own. But it goes through kind of like the protocol for church discipline. This person is still saved, it says in 1 Corinthians 5. But... He had to be put out of the church. And in 2 Corinthians, we read that he was received back because he came to repentance after that issue. And this was a sexual immorality case. But basically, so confrontation always should follow that biblical protocol, right? You'd go first one-on-one to the person and deal with it. Unless it's, like I said, an awkward situation like Megan with some new freshman guy. Maybe at that time you'd want to just sensitively mention this to somebody in a place of leadership that could that already has that relationship with that guy. All right, so that's kind of the confrontation protocol. Is that pretty clear? All these notes will be online. You can get it later. Leaders resolve conflict when necessary. Okay, so this is more the conflict resolution part of things. So resolve conflict with those that you have conflict with. As leaders, you need to do this. Ephesians 4, 26 through 27 says, and it's discussing relationships and speech in this, in this passage, says, in your anger, do not sin. All right? Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. Right? When we don't deal with conflict, we're giving the devil a foothold. And in your ministry, that's a bad way to do ministry. You can't give the devil a foothold. You've got to deal with conflict, right? So this is necessary. Go to your brother. Make things right. Maybe you have to ask forgiveness. Maybe you feel hurt and you need to communicate that to them. We're going to talk about how to do that in just a minute. But ultimately, if the conflict is between you and this person, resolve it quickly. Also in ministry, though, there will be conflicts that arise in your ministry. I've had guys on our leadership that start, like, really going after each other, okay? And I have to help those guys resolve their conflicts. So I need to resolve my conflicts and other people's conflicts that are under my authority. And you guys will, too. Maybe it will be in your Bible study or who knows where. And you're going to need to resolve those. James 3.18, again talking about speech, this whole chapter, and again talking about relationships, says peacemakers who sow in peace raise a harvest of righteousness. If you want to see a harvest of righteousness in your life and in your ministry, be a peacemaker. <laughs> right? When you see conflict, be quick to help others resolve it. Now, here's what we call the communication wheel. 
and it's courtesy of the crocuses. And I want to encourage you, you could use this in your personal conflict resolution, but you could also mediate this between other people who you're trying to do peacemaking with, right? You could work through this communication wheel with them and help them resolve some conflict. So draw on your paper a big circle. Okay, here is a big circle, all right? And it doesn't have to be geometrically perfect. Okay, draw another circle in the middle of it, all right? Got it? Draw a little line like this. Got it? Okay, draw two more lines like this. And this will be on your notes. I was going to print it off for you today, but ran out of paper. Okay, two more lines like this, okay? So you should have five different pie, uh, pie slices in this circle. Okay? At the middle, write these things. We're going to define these, and they'll be important. But in the middle, you're going to put issue. All right? Here we're going to put sensory data. Got it? Thoughts? Feelings? Wants? Actions? Got that? Under wants, you could put self what you want for yourself, what you want for us, and what you want for others. Right? Under actions, you could put past, present, future. All right. Now, let's say you're having a problem with somebody, and there is a conflict that needs to be resolved. Let's define some of these issues so you kind of understand what each one is discussing. You saw this at Crush Beer. Uh oh, you're looking puzzled. I am. Were you taking a nap that morning? No. You saw it at Crush Beer. You, you even got to hear the crocuses sing the song. So the crocuses even put this into musical form and sang this really catchy song, which I forget. But anyway, okay, so definition. The issue, and you might write these out a little bit. The issue is what is at the heart of, of your conflict? What is the main deal in your perspective? Okay? Don't assume what their issue is. Just say what your issue is. You want to use I statements. You want to own your issue. Does that make sense? You're not assuming this is Ashley's fault. You're owning your issue. I had a problem with this issue. It's my problem, and I'm going to admit it's my problem. And, and we're going to go through the I statements about all these. And be, be sure to say I statements, not you statements. What if I say, Ashley, you were wrong when you did that? Now I'm assuming a lot about Ashley's motives. It's real easy to do this in relationships, right? But if I say, Ashley, when you did that, I really didn't like it. See, I'm owning my feelings, and I'm not projecting it on Ashley and making her the bad guy. I'm just saying where I'm coming from right off the bat. Does that make sense? So I'm not accusing you of anything. I'm just letting you know how I felt as a result of whatever it was. Okay? So that's the issue. The sensory data is everything that you took in from your senses. All right, I saw this. Ashley, 
When I walked into Connect, I smiled at you, and you did not smile back. Does that make sense? See, that's sensory data. I saw something, right? Or you knocked over my book, and you didn't pick it up, right? I saw something, right? I felt something. Or does that make sense? So it's, it's just what you experienced in the situation. Your thoughts are how you interpreted that, right? So it's what you believe about her, what, what happened, right? I felt like. You know, or your feelings would be what you felt about it. So your thoughts are, I believe you did that because you were mad at me. And it made me feel unloved. <laughs> did you guys see how this is working? I'm, just, I'm using I statements to explain how I experienced this situation. Right? Now the wants part, you're going to deal with what do you want. Right? And saying these things, guys, is not selfish and it's not wrong. I think a lot of times this generation has really bad boundaries and it's hard to say things like, I want this. Or I feel that because people think, oh, so it's, I don't know. We get our boundaries mixed up way too much. The reality here is if you want to resolve conflict, you've got to have good boundaries and be able to state what is at the core of how you're feeling and why. So, that are, so they know where you're coming from, right? Okay, so the wants. What do you want for yourself, for us, and for others, right? I, I really feel like my desire is if I smile, I, I would love it if you smile back. <laughs> Does that make sense? Just using a cheesy example, but that might be a want, okay? And now you can discuss actions. Now, all these are in no particular order. You can bounce back and forth, you know? So we already discussed one action. That was the past action. That was her not smiling, right? Uh, the present actions might be kind of my response to that, right? And the future actions might be something like decisions. You know, it would be important to me if when I smile at you, you smile back. You see, it's talking about actions in the future, Right Now, as you think about this wheel, does that kind of communicate each of those issues well so that you kind of understand them? Each person should go through the whole wheel until completely finished and then switch. Okay, Try not to just interrupt each other. Although, if you have to interrupt, interrupt to ask questions or to kind of like summarize what they're saying so that you really understand where they're coming from. Right? So let them go through it. And you can go through in any order. You can bounce between these, right? You could do whatever. Probably if you're initiating the conflict resolution, you should be taking the initiative to, to be the first one to discuss these issues because the other person will probably be caught off guard a little bit, right? Uh, if it is possible, write out the wheel ahead of time. Write this out. I know the crocuses, whenever they have an argument, they each get a wheel <laughs> so they can look at it. Even though they have it memorized, it just keeps them on track. Uh-huh. Uh, I heard a story this summer that they had the same wheel and they had to draw it out in chalk and they each had to stand on one. That is awesome. So they where they were. <laughs> that is awesome. <laughs> this, this could be, I don't know, I can't, uh, this might just be a big crusade tool and I think that's what it is and the crocuses are really, love it and always pushing it. And so I credited the crocuses but it could probably be credited to someone else beyond them like crusade. I'm not sure who though, but maybe you saw, did you see it at Summer Project? Mm -hmm. Cool. That's pretty awesome. Aaron and I wanted to literally make each other laminated pieces of paper. We haven't done this yet. That say, like, I'm talking, and then everything that you're supposed to do, <laughs> and then I'm listening and everything. That, you know what I mean? And then we would flip them as we're talking. <laughs> we just haven't done it yet. We thought that would be really, it sounds cheesy, guys, but it's better than arguing. You know what I mean? Like, why not? Uh, train yourself to do that, right? Okay, so if possible, have the wheel ahead of time. 
James 1.19. Everyone should be slow to speak, slow to get angry, and quick to listen, right? That's the point of this. Seek to understand each other. It takes supernatural power to put your needs on hold and try to understand the other person. I think that's directly from Laura's um, write-up of this. This is her quote. Most conflicts are resolved when you can just get to understanding each other. You know, the, the point is, is conflict happens when we're believing our own data and feelings and all that without letting the other person say. See, I might talk through this with Ashley, and you might say, oh, my gosh, yeah, I didn't even see you smiling at me. Mm-hmm. Oh. <laughs> I had a really hard day. I was just out of it. I felt really tired. Didn't even see. Oh, okay. Conflict's gone. See, we just need to understand each other. Right? Okay. Speak for yourself. Again, use I statements. Take ownership of your feeling. Try not to accuse or blame. The point is, this is how I felt when that happened. What was going on? Let's talk this through. Listen by following. You want to hear their story. Asking leading questions makes you the leader. If you're trying to ask them questions to draw them into your point. Whereas, we should be following where the other person goes, really trying to understand where they're coming from. Do not try to jump in and fix them or relate your autobiography. Just listen. Laura writes. Invite them to tell you more. Don't stop until they tell you they're done. Try to understand them. Keep asking. Usually the third time they'll begin to open up. Okay, listening tips from Laura. Attending, establish eye contact and nonverbals. Acknowledging, agreeing statements. Uh Uh-huh, right. Letting them know verbally that you're that you're with them, not just like zoning out. Inviting, asking them to tell you more, and summarizing, trying to capture the essence of what they're saying in an empathetic way so that they really understand that you understand what they're thinking and talking about. All right, so we're going to go quick through this. Is that kind of good, though, the conflict resolution wheel? I hope you guys will each get this. Again, I'll put it online probably by tomorrow. It might take a little longer. It'll be up soon. And try it sometime when you have a conflict. I know you guys all have roommates, and conflicts come up with roommates. So give it a shot sometime. Okay, more on leadership communication. I want to encourage you. I kind of touched on it a little bit earlier. Leaders teach and preach. They do both. So 1 Timothy 4.13 and 5.17 say that, that leaders do both those things. And I want to encourage you that as you teach as a leader and as you share the gospel as a leader, They're both very necessary and grow in both those areas. So not just in conflict resolution, not just in confrontation, but also in constructive teaching and in evangelistic preaching, right? Leaders do both. Leaders also negotiate for God's glory. I had to throw this in here, too, because whether you're in a Bible study or whether you're leading an action group or whether you're sharing with the lost, there's this aspect of negotiating that's involved in all of it. Uh, Negotiating defined as to arrange for or bring about by discussion and settlement of terms. You're really, the idea that comes to my mind is that of an ambassador, which 2 Corinthians 5 says you are. In fact, 2 Corinthians 5 says we are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. See, Paul's talking literally about negotiating with non-Christians. We implore you, be reconciled to God, right? And then also, in Galatians 4.12, we get a great example of negotiating with Christians. Paul says, I plead with you, brothers. Become like me, for I became like you. He's begging them to follow his example of following Christ's example. And again, this issue of negotiation is coming up. So just summarizing, I'm going to summarize a really long book for you that we got to listen to on Audible as we drove back to St. Louis this summer. 
the Cardinals, by the way, won the World Series. just have to keep saying that because it's so cool. But anyway, um, we actually read this book pretty much like the two days before we went to a Cardinal game. So you know it's good. Anyway, the name of the book is Getting to Yes. It's not a Christian book. I would encourage you to read it. It's good. It's based on a 30-plus year study that's ongoing at Harvard. So Harvard, for over 30 years, has been digging into what makes negotiation work. And this study has become like the standard of negotiation that is used by police when they're negotiating with hostage situations and by counterterrorism people negotiating with terrorists. And across the board, they said this book is the standard for negotiating technique. And it really boils down to four main concepts. And I've taken those and paraphrased them into four steps that each begin with P, okay? Because I think it might help us remember it, okay? So the first one is people. So in negotiating, one, people are what's important. And we're almost done here, guys. So I want to encourage you, as you negotiate, whether it's with a non-Christian or a Christian or somebody in your Bible study, or you're doing confrontation with somebody, right? And you're praying that God would show them and give them their, their issue and give them a desire to change, right? Like on a scripturally crazy issue or something like that. Well, first of all, you want to focus on people, right? So instead of just hitting straight at the issue, and this is some place where I've been wrong in the past, right? You want to build some bridges. Now, I'm not saying, like in evangelism, that you have to build a friendship first or a relationship first, because sometimes you don't have time for that, and there's no way you could practically befriend everybody on this campus before sharing with them, right? But what I am saying is, whatever conversation you're in, you can build relational bridges, right? It's rare that somebody walks up and you say, you're going to hell unless you trust Christ, right? You wouldn't do that. You're going to try and build some rapport, build some bridges, ask some questions, intro to the gospel, work through the sound barriers again. But first and foremost, whatever you're doing, as far as confrontation, evangelism, teaching, any of these different issues that involve negotiation in some form, first of all, remember the person aspect of it, right? Build some bridges with this person. Try to let them know that you value them as a person, you don't, you're just not pushing an agenda, but you actually value them as a person. Second, establish priorities. Right? What's, what are the values and non-negotiables? Okay? What are the values and non-negotiables? It's important to have all those out on the table before just going ahead with a plan. Because I might just say something like, hey, I want to, you know, Alex, I really love you. You're really awesome. I might be careful with what words you say. And I want to invite you to my Bible study. See, I'm negotiating now with you. I'm saying that, like, you might not say that to somebody you just met. I love you, man. But anyway, I, and I want you to come to my Bible study. So it's going to be Wednesday at 6, and you better be there. You're like, wait a minute. See, I didn't even hear what your priorities were, right? What's your schedule? What are your non-negotiables? Oh, I work every Wednesday night. That's a non-negotiable, and I can't be there. Does that make sense? So you want to get to what the priorities are. So people first, then establishing priorities across the board. What are my priorities? What are your priorities? And if you're leading a group of leaders, like an action group, potentially that would involve getting everybody's priorities, which could be a complicated situation the more people that you have, right? Okay, once you have those priorities listed, three would be develop a plan. A plan that meets as many of those 
priorities as possible. Okay? And what I would encourage you to do is be creative here. God gave you his mind, right? It says that in 1 Corinthians 2.16. And it doesn't just mean his mind there. It literally in the Greek means his thinking. So use his thinking. Be creative. You as leaders are not in a leadership box where you have to do everything the way it's always been done. Like look at Connect. We decided two years ago we want Connect to be dynamic, not predictable. So it's very intentional that every week it changes and every week it's different because we think this generation is a lot more dynamic than previous generations. It's not just predictable pattern every single week. We want there to be content, though. See, these are all priorities. We don't want to just make Connect this fun, 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 all the time fun. We want there to be real growth. That's why we do cross-training. That's why we have half nights of prayer, right? We, we, there are lots of values that are important, and we wanted to creatively work them all into a final solution that would meet all those different priorities, right? And so come up with a plan and be creative about it. And on that note, if you as students can think of any creative solutions that we're missing, please share them with us because we want to hear them. Okay, finally, probation. That's the last key. Besides the benchmarks and accountability for... Okay, for the plan, okay? Decide how you're going to evaluate whether or not the plan is actually meeting the priorities, whether it's actually working. Does that make sense? And decide that beforehand so two months from now you can really figure it out. Like in discipleship, we say, um, well, first of all, you want to connect with this person. Second of all, we have the FAITH acronym about what to look for in somebody you're discipling. Three, we have a plan, set up an appointment with this person, start working through some basic issues so they have a good foundation, then go further. Four, we actually say in there, after three weeks, determine whether or not you want to continue with this discipleship relationship. If they're not faithful, they're not available, they're not taking an initiative, they're not teachable, they don't have a heart for God, you probably don't want to invest a whole lot of time there. See, we're coming up with some benchmarks that you'd want to evaluate your plan based on. Does that make sense? So those are some good negotiating issues as far as all this, whether it's confrontation, teaching, leading in any different way. Okay, you guys, in all this stuff, you're going to hurt people at times. As a leader, you're going to come across wrong. I want to ask you to lead by an example by being the first to ask forgiveness when necessary. Try to do this in your marriages in the future, especially you guys. Ask your wife forgiveness as quick as you can. But in your ministries, do that too. Don't be above asking people forgiveness. And even people that you're leading need to hear that from you. They need to know that you're not going to be proud. Okay, a few last thoughts, guys. This is quick, summarizing, instant summarization. The goal is not the quantity of words, but rather the quality of your words, saying the right thing at the right time. Right? Proverbs 10.19 says, when words are many, sin is not absent. So when we talk about verbal leadership, we're not just saying leaders got to talk, talk, talk. We're just saying learn to say the right thing at the right time. Believe the best about others. Try not to believe anything more than what you know for sure. And clarify whenever you're not sure, right? Okay, so before you initiate this hardcore confrontation, make sure you know what you're doing. Men and women must strive to understand each other. This is big. Men, realize that women read into what you are saying. This will help you in your marriages. And it will help you in your ministries. Women, realize that men say pretty much what they mean, right? (laughs) 
Typically, if a guy says to his wife, hey, we really need to start exercising more. He just means we need to start exercising more. Guys, your wife probably thinks you mean she's fat. <laughs> okay? <laughs> you need, as women and men, we need to realize where each other are coming from. So when men speak, we should realize women are going to read a lot into it. And when women listen, we should think, uh, you should think, right, uh, that men pretty much mean what they say. And vice versa, right? When women are speaking, if it comes across a little weird, ask clarifying questions, men, because they might be expecting you to pick up on things that were too dumb to pick up on. <laughs> okay, so if that's the case, ask questions. Watch your body language, eye contact, tone, and other issues. This is key. In the book, Louder Than Words, Nonverbal Communication, we hear that communication is 7% verbal, just 7% the words that you're using, okay? 38% vocal, your volume, pitch, tone, rhythm, and 55% body language, most of which is your eye contact or what you do with facial expressions and so forth, right? So when you speak, be careful about those types of issues. And I would put on that note, assume... Just assume that email, texting, and other media will convey a negative or incorrect meaning more times than not, <laughs> okay? I've done, I've done this. There's this conflict issue. We're dealing with it via email with another leader in town. And I was seriously, like, sitting there thinking, how can I be kind, generous, uplifting, and really show him that I'm, I want to resolve this the right way? And I'm like, okay, that's, that's a home run. And I'd send it. And he's like, I can't believe you, brother. What are you saying? This is so hurtful. <laughs> like, how did I do it? And finally, we just had to go sit face to face and talk it out, right? But sometimes, I promise you, more times than not, email and texting and all that will get it wrong. So strive to make important conversations first face to face. If that's not possible, do it on Skype or on a phone. And if none of that's possible, uh, use other media, right, if you can't do anything else. It's easier to use other media because... It's less vulnerable. But you guys, I want to encourage you, take a stand and do things that are not comfortable, not easy, right? Okay, Jim Elliott wrote in his journal, you guys write this down, Ezekiel 2.7 and 3.17-19, and read those about speech. Ezekiel 2.7 and 3.17-19. And please read that maybe in your quiet time. It'll be awesome. Jim Elliott wrote in his journal, Father, make of me a crisis man. Bring those I contact to decision. Let them let me not be a milepost on a single road. Make me a fork that men must turn one way or another on facing Christ in me. Remember Exodus 4, 11 through 12 as you think about taking this step in verbal leadership. Who has made man's mouth or who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I the Lord? Now then go and I, even I, will be with your mouth and teach you what you are to say. This all comes out of your walk with God, Matthew 12, 34, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. As you're growing in intimacy with God, the right stuff is going to come out, even in hard situations. And like always, this comes out of the spirit-filled life. Matthew 10, 19 through 20, but when they arrest you, do not worry about what to say or how to say it. At that time, you will be given what to say, for it will not be you speaking, but the spirit of your father speaking through you. And a lot of people, every time you mention that, say, oh, that's taken out of context, because it's talking about when you're arrested. And I want to encourage you, well, the context there is talking about that, but the principle there is valid for all believers, and that's that the Holy Spirit in you is going to empower you to speak like he always does, and he's going to empower you to speak his words in the right situations, at the right times, and the right way. Okay? So let's pray. Sorry that one a little long. I hope that helps you in your ministries. I think it will. Okay. Let's pray. 
Jesus, we thank you so much for what you're doing in each of our lives. And we just pray that you'd make us confident and bold and loving and gracious and interesting and generous and all that in our speech. God, that we'd speak your words at the right time in the right way. We love you so much, God, and we thank you for this day. It's in your name we pray. Amen.